it is so good for me to be here. I was just so blessed this morning uh, in our time of worship together and also just hearing uh, the report from Katie. Thank you. Uh, it's so cool. Cool to see God is working all over in, in, in ways that we are not even aware of. And um, so, amazing. Well, I am, for those of you who don't know me, I'm, I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Integrity Church. And it is my joy and honor that I get to bring the word this morning uh, to you. So it was 1783, and the impossible just happened. General George Washington and the Continental Army just defeated King, King George III and the armies of Great Britain, the most powerful superforce in the world. The nation and the world was stunned as this great empire was defeated by a new nation, by an army that in many ways was untrained. George Washington found himself with new significance. What happens when you defeat the most powerful man in the world? You become the most powerful man in the world, right? And so all eyes are now on him, the leader of the world, essentially. What will this man do with his power? Some had suggested to him, you should establish your throne, be America's first king. George Washington did quite the opposite, the unthinkable. He resigned. He stepped down. He stepped away from the public eye and refused the power that he had earned, the power that he had received. Why? Well, because he believed that it would serve the interests of the people best. He believed that for this nation to thrive, it would be best that the people had the power, not one single man, for example, as it was with King George III in Great Britain. In fact, when King George III heard of this news, first of all, he was in disbelief. He wouldn't accept it as truth. And he remarked, if this is actually true, if George Washington did this, he's the greatest man in the world. A man who gave up all the power for the sake of others. Humility. Humility. Humility is a word that is quite countercultural to our day and age. I can't think of a word more countercultural than the word humility. And yet, at the same time, I can't think of a word that is more pleasing to God. As Ken had just read in Isaiah 66 2, the Lord says this, this is whom I will look to, he who is humble. He who is humble. Humility is both ground zero and the final destination of the Christian life. It is the, the start, the beginning, and the arrival of the Christian life. In other words, 
The Christian life begins when we humbly recognize, when we humble ourselves and recognize that God is God, I'm not, and I desperately need him. And what is the end of the Christian life? Eternity in glory, humbly worshiping our Savior who saved us. Make no mistake, a Christian without humility is a liar. And in our increasingly prideful culture, I'm afraid that we are ever in danger of losing this fundamental virtue. And so this morning, I hope to put a spotlight on humility. And now I do this with caution. As the late Timothy Keller warns, he says, humility is so shy, if you begin to talk about it, it leaves. Well, I pray this morning that she just got it. I pray this morning that God will teach us together what it is to be humble, why we need humility, and how to cultivate it in our lives. Uh, Will you pray with me? Father God, we come before you, and we are eager to hear from your word. Lord, we want to look more like Jesus, and that means we want to be humble. So make us humble this day. Teach us. Here we are, Lord. Your servants, we listen. Speak. We love you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Um, Now, I'm going to be focusing on verses 3 through 5 will be where we're really looking at. Um, But for context and um, additional information, I'll hit all of all this passage, all this wonderful passage. Um, So the context of this book of Philippians, uh, the Apostle Paul writes the letter of Philippians to the church at Philippi. It is in uh, modern-day Greece. And this was a young and a healthy church, very healthy church. They were thriving in their faith. They loved Jesus, and they had a lot of things going right for them. And I think because of this, Paul cherished these people in a very unique way. He had a very special relationship with them. In fact, no other letter that we have of Paul's is as affectionate and as personal as this short little letter. Well, the Philippians, while thriving, they did have one area that was lacking. And in the text that we'll be reading today, uh, Paul will address this problem. It appears that in the Philippian church, there were some disagreements with one another. And the disagreements aren't so much the problem as much as what the disagreements were leading to. It was leading to disunity. It's leading to division, quarreling, and all other things like it. And so this is what Paul says in Philippians 2, 1 through 5 to address this problem. He says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ... 
any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So let's pick up in verse one. I'm just gonna spend just a brief little explanation on verse one and two. Paul says this, he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, then do everything that he's about to say afterwards. So in other words, this first verse is is the qualification for obeying the next thing that he will command. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, in other words, if, if there's any encouragement of knowing Jesus personally, if there's any comfort from having received his love, if there is any participation in the spirit, in other words, if the spirit is alive in you and at work in your life, and lastly, if there is any sympathy or affection, it's pro- he's probably referring to himself as, his, as their apostle, if you have any sympathy toward me, any affection toward me, then do what? Verse two, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It says complete my joy by being of the same mind. This is a very... Um, generous, gentle way for Paul to confront the problem in the Philippian church. They're lacking something. What is that? They're lacking unity. They're disunified. What is causing this disunity? Yeah, perhaps the disagreements have something to do with it, but Paul sees an underlying problem that's causing this disunity a lack of humility. And so what he commands in verse three through five is he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What is the answer to the problem of disunity? Paul says it's humility. Paul says it's humility to the people of Philippi. And what Paul does in this command that we just read is he displays for them what humility is in practice, in action. He he defines humility for us. And so this morning, I'm just gonna pull out three points to help us understand what humility is. So firstly, humility is selflessness. It is selflessness. Paul starts off, says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We have two things in in the picture here. We have selfish ambition, 
What is that? It is, it is selfish desires, self-centered goals or aspirations. It is ambition. Ambition isn't all bad, right? But it is ambition that is solely intended to please myself. It is selfish ambition. On the other side, we have conceit. What is that? We, we, we've heard that word. We know that word. It's, it's arrogance. It's pride. It's haughtiness. It's, it's a puffed up view of the self that believes that I am better than you. That I am more important than everybody else around me. And Paul says, do nothing with these two things. Do nothing with selfish ambition or conceit. Do not have this mindset is what he has. The common thread between these two words, selfish ambition and conceit, is selfishness. That, that, that's the common ground between these two. It is this idea, this lie, that, that believes the world revolves around me. The world is about me. I'm the center. Well, the first thing that we see about humility is that it is selfless. See, humility knows and believes the reality that the world doesn't revolve around me. It revolves around the sun, S-O-N, right? And because of this truth, humility takes the attention off of ourselves and towards God and towards the people around us, to the world around us. This is humility. C.S. Lewis famously says, a really humble man will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking of himself at all. Humility is selfless. Secondly, humility is submission. Paul says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Paul is saying that we, the Christian, is to voluntarily consider another more significant. He's, he's saying that we are to submit to one another, to submit in the order of importance, in the order of priority in our lives. We are to submit to one another. This is a pretty foreign concept in independent America. We don't like this word submission. But to submit is to voluntarily yield to another. And this is part of the essence of what humility is. A willingness to consider another more important than yourself. Paul commands this very clearly in Ephesians 5.21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. To be humble is to lay aside my rights, the things that I am entitled to or I think I'm entitled to for the sake of others and ultimately for the sake of Christ. Humility is submission. Thirdly, humility is servanthood. Paul says, let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. I want to note just briefly, 
that humility is not self-hate, right? We're, humility is, is not abuse to ourselves. It, it, is, it is not a constant pessimism about my own person. It's not an Eeyore-type personality. As the, the quote goes, and you've heard it before, I'm sure, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And that is exactly what this passage reveals, is that humility is about looking to the interests of others. Looking to the interests of others. Not only caring about what matters to me, my own interests, not only worrying about serving me, but looking also to the interests of others, serving others, caring about what they need and even desire. This is humility, and this is ultimately servanthood, the very thing that we're called to as followers of Jesus. Jesus says this in Mark 10, 45. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, follow me. Follow his example. To follow Jesus is to follow his example in humility, in servanthood. The humble person prioritizes this, prioritizes putting others before himself. The humble person sincerely believes the words of our Lord, who said, it is better to give than it is to receive. It is better to bless than it is to be blessed. This is humility. And Paul says ultimately in verse five, have this mind among yourselves. Which mind? A mind of humility, selfless, submissive, servant-like humility. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, this is the mindset we must cultivate. Why? Because humility is the mindset of Christ. It is the way of Jesus. It is the attitude that God wants to create within me and within you, a posture, a lifestyle of humility. To become like Christ, which should be our desire, right, is to become humble. This is the mindset of the follower of Jesus. And this is why Paul commands them to do so and us to do so. Now I know that this is a very hard teaching because of how countercultural it is. Because of how contrary it runs with the grain of society. It is the complete opposite teaching of the world. While humility is the way of Christ, pride is the way of the world. In fact, pride in our culture is a virtue. The concept of pride, the idea of having pride in our culture, they, they, they say that's strength. They say that that, that is independence and, and success is what pride represents to the world around us. And so from the earliest of age, we're, we're taught to, to take pride in your identity, to take pride in 
your sexuality as we see parades going on throughout the country. To, to take pride in your rich, riches, to, to boast in your wealth and your knowledge, in your power, in your politics, in your fancy house, in your cars. We're told, take pride, and to get to that point, we're told, take the road of selfish ambition and conceit. Biblical humility is madness to our culture. To them, to the world, selflessness is foolishness. Submission is weakness. And servanthood is utter madness, insanity. Integrity Church, if we're not careful, we will begin to be influenced by the pride of the world. Reality is we're already influenced enough by the pride of our own hearts. Pride, as you may have heard, is the root of many sins, if not all. Every sin that takes place out here begins with pride in here. Which is why God so values humility the opposite of pride. Our whole lives, we have been raised in a culture of pride that is the result of the sin, the pride within our own hearts as humans. And so this is a battle that we fight every single day and we will fight it until the day we meet Christ face to face. Jesus came to save us from pride, to save us from our sin. And we can kill the pride in our hearts by doing exactly what the Apostle Paul says, have the mind of Christ. Embrace the mind of Christ, the mind of humility. I'm so thankful that God doesn't leave us in this task alone, but what he does is he's, he's given us both his spirit and his word to teach us and to give us the power to do that which he calls us to do. In this passage in Philippians, I see some very applicable ways to cult cultivate humility in our own lives. And so as we begin to wrap up, what I want to do is I want to pull out five ways, five applications to cultivate humility in our lives, all for the sake of Christ. So here they are. Number one, engage in community, church community. What becomes abundantly clear when we read this text, which is, by the way, written to a local church community, right? What becomes ab ab abundantly clear is that humility is revealed in how we treat others. Contrary to how we often think, humility is, is a virtue that can only ex exist in the context of community, in the context of other people, God and other people. In other words, if there is nobody out here, if there is no God, 
what's the measure of humility? There's no such thing. It is a virtue, it is a quality that is seen and revealed in the context of community, in the context of others. See, oftentimes we think that humility is merely recognizing my own limitations, right? And so when we lose, when we, when we fail, we say things like, oh, I got, I got humbled, right? I was, uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm playing basketball with some of, the, some of the boys in our youth group, and I can usually keep up with most sports, but put a basketball in my hand, and, and I, I look like a toddler on like a JV team. And that is exactly what our youth made me look like a couple weeks ago. I was humbled, right? That's how we often say that word. Humility, however, is not so much about knowing our own weaknesses. Humility is far more about how we see God and how we see the world around us, how we see others. This is why the most prideful people are often the loneliest. It is why the least humble are often the loneliest people. And so the point is, if you want to be a humble person, engage in community. Engage with other people. Now, I, I was very strategic in that word engage. I didn't just say be in community because there's, there's a big difference between being and engaging, right? We can, we can be at church and not really be here. Engaging involves talking, involves interacting, involves getting involved with somebody else. And that is when we will begin to become humble. Because when we, when we get to know people other than ourselves, we begin to see the world for what it is in truth. A big place with a lot of people, with all different stories and backgrounds, history, cultures and ethnicities, likes and dislikes, values, we begin to see that the world is a big place. <laughs> and who am I to think that, that my way is the only way? That my likes are the only thing worth liking? You know, church is the perfect place to be humbled. It really is. I'll tell you why. Because you have the one thing that you actually need for a relationship with any human being. You need Jesus. Right? The, the common ground between all of us is already here. We have Christ, we know Jesus, and we love Jesus. But, on, but the other reality is, we are all very different. You felt that, you've seen that, you've experienced it. There's a lot of us coming from different, from different backgrounds, different upraisings, different likes and dislikes. And when we, get, when we begin to know each other and get involved in each other's lives, we will be humbled. This is exactly what God does to his people in the church, in community. Don't just seek the people who look like you, talk like you, like the same things you like. 
that will only build your pride and cause disunity. Engage with the people who you might not feel even comfortable with sometimes because you don't know what common ground you have. Engage in community. Secondly, assess your thoughts and motives. Paul says this, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Well, for that to happen, we need to assess our thoughts and motives, right? And so here's a very simple and yet hard application. Ask yourselves before you do something, before you make a decision. Ask yourselves a very simple question, why? Why am I doing this? Is this just for me, for, for my own pleasure? Why, why did this person's words offend me so badly? Why, why do I feel this way when I'm around this person? Why do I think I need this thing in my life? When you begin to ask yourselves those questions, I promise you, when you prayerfully ask these questions, the Holy Spirit will begin to reveal pride in your own heart. He'll bring some stuff, oftentimes you won't like to see it, but he'll bring some stuff out for you to deal with. Because so oftentimes, our pride comes out in the context of other people, right? It's, it's when he gets that really nice car. I, 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 I just, why does he get that? Why, why does she have seemingly the perfect family? Why, why did he get the promotion out of all the people? Those, those are thoughts rooted in pride. That's what they are. And they lead to all sorts of sin, envy, jealousy, hatred, bitterness, all these things, we need to consider our motives, prayerfully consider them, and ask the Lord to make us humble. Ask him to root the pride out of our own hearts and make him like Christ. Make us like Christ. Thirdly, commit to pray for and encourage others. Commit to pray for and encourage others. As I was just saying, so oftentimes our pride comes out when we see what somebody else has or does and we are jealous of them. Well, a commitment to pray for people, a commitment to encourage other people, you know what that's gonna do? that's gonna utterly destroy the pride in your heart. And it is exactly what God calls us to do on a regular basis. Pray continually is what the Lord says. Encourage one another is what the Lord says. Instead of being threatened by your friend's strength, say, I'm, I'm gonna encourage this person. Wow, I am, I am so grateful for the way the Lord has gifted you I'm, I'm so grateful. Keep doing what you're doing. Instead of letting your friend or your, your sister, your brother's accomplishment make you jealous, thank the Lord and say, God, thank you 
for blessing this person and then go to them and rejoice with them, encourage them. That will absolutely destroy your pride if you'll decide to do that. And so make a commitment to pray for and encourage others. If you begin to cultivate this habit, you will begin to see people as Christ sees them. And you will become a humble person as we've been called to. Fourthly, seek opportunities to serve others. This is probably the clearest application we could pull from this text. Seek opportunities to serve others in your own life, in your own context. Think about ways to serve people here at this church, in your homes, at the workplace, in your community. Think of creative ways to serve people. You will be humbled as you do that. Encourage people with with kind notes. Buy somebody coffee. Offer help. Be, Be the first person when you see somebody asking for help, be the first person to just jump up and volunteer. I'm not asking you to, to be irresponsible, to leave everything that you need to do, but when you have the chance, oh, absolutely, get up and serve, even if it's not something you particularly want to do. That'll humble you. That'll humble you for sure. Invite somebody over for dinner. My goodness, I, it saddens me that the world around us is a different world than it was even a decade ago. We used to believe in intimate community, people going to each other's houses for dinner regularly. You've, so many of you have experienced this all your life growing up, and yet it's less and less and less happening in our day and age. I say it's a lack of humility. Invite somebody over your house. I'm so, I've been so encouraged, our young adults, and I have been so blessed. There's been several uh, members in the church just over the course of the time who have invited us over to their house, just provided for us a meal, served us, and, and talked with us, and asked us about our lives. And Something amazing happens when you do that. Love begins to grow, and so does humility. Use the gifts that God has given you, because he's given you so many. Use them to serve and to bless the people of this church and everybody you know. Fifth and lastly, and I'll note that this is the most important, remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of the gospel. When we know the why of what we do, the what becomes joyful. And so we must remind ourselves every single day the reason why we are to be humble. Why is it? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because of what Jesus has done for us and what he's called us to How do we remind ourselves of the gospel? Yes, for sure. Read your Bible every single day. Don't skip a beat. Read it like you need it, like food. Because the Lord says you do need it. 
even more than you need food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God is what God's word says. It's why we get together on a Sunday morning and together we sing the word of God in songs. We read the word of God together. I I preach and we hear the word of God together. We need to be reminded every single day of the gospel. When you do that, when you are reminded of the gospel, you will become humble people. You You cannot know Jesus and have understood the gospel and not progressively become more humble. That is the reality. And this is the exact thing that the apostle Paul knows and so what he does is in, in, after he makes the command in verse three through five, he gives us, I think, perhaps one of the greatest texts in scripture that describes the gospel, that describes what Jesus has done, who he is, and where he is now, seated in glory. And so what I want to do as we close this morning is I just want to read this passage and let this serve as the perfect illustration to the sermon. Here it is, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that is therefore that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, this is the greatest demonstration of humility ever in all of time is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God Almighty, he was there from the beginning, is there today, and will be there forever. He stepped down to this earth, became a human, a profound mystery that the God of the world became human while never ceasing to be God. And what did he do? He did not use his power and his authority for his own advantage. He didn't use it to serve himself. What he used it for was to serve you and me, was to serve the lowliest of people. He humbled himself. He served others by washing their feet. He healed the sick, opened the eyes of the blind. He dined with the outcasts in the lowest of society. And he submitted to the will of his father by going to the cross for you and for me that we might receive forgiveness of sin and relationship with him forever. The son of God humbly offered up on a cross for criminals for you and me because of his great love. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves. If you want to see humility, look there. If you want to be humble, 
Follow the man who went to that cross for you. The reality is when we consider our Lord, when we consider the gospel, how can we not feel the need to be humble? Amen? We must have this mind amongst ourselves. It is ours who have received Christ Jesus. It is yours. And brothers and sisters, if you will follow him, his story will, like us, will be like our story in the future. Our Lord is exalted in heaven. He lives forevermore. He is glorified every second of every moment of every day and that will be the case for all of eternity. The angels and saints are bowing before him and you and I, if we should follow him, put our faith in him, receive the gift of the gospel, we will be with him forevermore. Rule and reign with him and humbly worship him forever. This is the th- what you are called to Humble yourselves and you will be exalted. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. Lord, we are humbled at considering the cross of Jesus. We are humbled at the sight of your love for us that even while we were still sinners and dead in our trespasses, Christ went to the cross humbly and bore our sin and shame and and took the penalty of our sin upon himself so that we wouldn't have to. God, what grace we have received in Jesus Lord, as we read your word and we have heard this morning, we know and believe and receive that your grace is intended to humble us. And so God, I pray that as we come before you with humble hearts, that you give us more grace to become more humble, even like our our Savior, Jesus, was humble. Lord, it's difficult in this world we live in It's difficult because the war is constant. The pride wants to come out of us in so many ways. Lord, we look to you. We believe that your spirit is enough to give us strength and your word is sufficient to live as you've called us to live, to follow you for all of our days until we meet you face to face in glory forever. We love you, Jesus. We thank you so much for the cross. It's in Christ's name that we all pray these things together. Amen. Amen.